Good morning. morning. Testing one, two, there we are. Good to have everybody here this morning. If you are a visitor today, if this is your first time at Crossway, uh, we hope that you felt welcome. Hope that you feel the presence of the Lord. Uh, Above all things, if uh, this is your first time or you haven't been here for a while and you've been back today, uh, we thank you so much for being here uh, to join us this morning in this service. Am I okay out there? Too loud? I sound like I sound like I'm in a tunnel. Yeah, turn the monitors off or down or something. I don't need to hear myself. I hear myself all the time. Uh, Tina only wishes I came with a volume button. <laughs> Open your Bible and turn it to the book while they're fin- kind of fixing all that. Turn to the book of Acts, chapter three. May sound a little familiar to you. We've been there for the past couple weeks, and I want to finish up with. Uh, Kind of a little series here. I did not intend for this to be a series. I'll just be honest with you. Um, I thought I was just going to preach this in one week. And as I began to study it and God began to just kind of give me thoughts and ideas to share, I realized it would probably be about a two and a half to three hour sermon. So you're welcome. I spread that out over a few weeks uh, as opposed to uh, all at one time. Uh, In Acts chapter number 3, starting at verse 19, this is actually verse 19, 20, and 21. It's three verses, but it's actually one sentence uh, that Peter is speaking to a group of people uh, who have come together, and they've just witnessed a great miracle of God. Uh, This lame man had been uh, healed, and so Peter's explaining to them that the lame man was not healed by his power, but he's explaining to them that he was healed by the power of Jesus, okay? And so he says to them, look, Jesus... Uh, was God, is God in flesh. He came from God. And by the way, you crucified him. And, but uh, God doesn't hold a grudge. God will forgive you for it. So he's preaching a message of repentance to these people who have gathered. So three words that jump out in this verse that we're focusing on, repentance, refreshing, and restoring. Let's read this verse. Verse 19, he says to the crowd there, uh, repent therefore and turn back that your sins may be blotted out that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the, the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven uh, must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. So we preached about repentance a couple weeks ago, um, the uh, turning away from sin, the acknowledging that we are guilty before God, and repenting, not out of not out of just a fear of hell, but repenting in response to God's love. How many of you know there's a difference, amen? God said, I I love you and I gave myself for you and I want you to repent of your sin and turn to me as a response to the love that I have given to you. Last week we talked about the refreshing that comes when we do that, amen? That when we repent, there's nothing more refreshing than getting your heart right with God. How many of you who are saved this morning can say amen to that? Nothing more refreshing than getting our heart and life right with God. God brings a refreshing in our life that gives us strength and power and it renews us uh, and gives us the ability to change throughout our life. None of us are perfect, but we're in a changing process that takes place every day and will continue to take place to the day that we die, okay? So today I want to focus on that three, the third R word there of restoration, what is the rest of Jesus, or Peter saying here, you, if you repent, God brings you refreshing until the time of restoring, the time of restoration. And you know what he's speaking of right there ultimately? We're going to talk about a couple different ways that God restores us, but ultimately what Peter's talking about here is the second coming of Jesus Christ. Amen? Do you still believe that? Still believe Jesus is coming back again? 
We know that he came the first time as a baby, born in a manger. He's going to come back next time as King of kings and Lord of lords. Amen? The first time he came as, as the Lamb of God to die and to be sacrificed for our sins. But the next time he comes, he will be the Lion of the tribe of Judah. Amen? He will be large and in charge and set this entire world back to the way it was in the beginning. Amen? Oh, we need to celebrate the first coming of Jesus Christ. It was in his first coming when he died on the cross of Calvary that brought us salvation. But folks, this whole story is not over with yet, amen? I still believe with all of my heart that Jesus Christ is going to return one day, amen? The Bible teaches us that one day the trump of God shall sound, and they which are alive and remain shall be caught up together to meet the Lord in the air. After those who have been dead burst the graves open, amen? That's not a sci-fi thought, it's not a fairy tale thought that is a reality that will take place. And I think that God's people need to think more often about Jesus' second coming. Amen? It's going to happen. I believe it. It's, uh, you know, in the Bible, a lot of people don't talk about it much anymore. And a lot of people will say, yeah, I've, I've heard that my whole life. And the Bible says, in fact, that the closer it gets to the coming of Jesus, people will say things like, Oh, yeah, I've heard that my whole life. Jesus said, I'm coming in an hour in which you think not, in an hour that is unexpected. So Peter's saying here, look, once we repent and we get our heart and life right with God and God refreshes our soul and he begins to change us and make us new and he begins to use us in his kingdom and for his glory to preach the gospel until the time of restoration when Jesus comes back and sets all things in order. Amen? The definition of restoration literally means reconstruction or repairing something that's been broken. Uh, if you've watched the news any at all, I think you can tell that the world is broken. Amen? And I'm the worst. I'm as bad as anybody to get on my soapbox and talk about how broken the world is. The world's broken. Our political system is broken. Our government's broken. In many ways, our churches are broken. The world's just broken because of sin. But... When you, break, or when you fix something that's been broken, you've restored it. And God said, yes, the world is broken. And we can all sit around and gripe about it. Or we can rejoice in the fact that one day, one day God will restore the world. Amen? Jesus, I kid you not, Jesus will fix all that is broken about us and about this world one day. Amen? We've got to be looking for that day, waiting for that day. Restoration is getting back something that's lost. Amen? And... The, the second coming of Jesus, I mean, we, we sing about it a lot. I'll fly away, oh glory. I'm getting the offbeat going there. I'll fly away. We, we talk about restoration, the second coming of Jesus, like it's all about us. Now, we're going to benefit from it, no doubt at all. We're going to benefit from it. Because, see, this life of pain, this body of pain will all fall off. We'll never sin again. So we're going to benefit. But folks, restoration, the coming of Jesus is all about God. It's all about God getting back what he lost. I mean, we're getting back what we lost in that we're getting back a perfect body and we're getting back a true peace and eternity. We're getting back a lot that we lost, but God lost us and God is getting back what he lost. And we'll talk about that here in just a second. Ultimately, re restoration is restoring something to its original condition. If you buy an old clunker car, it's rusted. It's a 1972 Pinto. I don't know. I just made that up off the top of my head. I don't know why you would buy a 1972 Pinto. But let's say you did, for whatever reason, that's your dream car. And you buy it, and it's rusted. 
but you say, you don't, you can't drive it, you can't use it in that way, and so you restore it. You buy all new parts and you you get it back. The, the main objective when somebody restores old cars, is it generally to make it something new and something that's never been before? No, when somebody restores old cars, the main objective is to restore it to its original condition. Make it look like it did in the beginning. And God, when God created this world, when he created this universe, when he created you and I, when he created mankind, he created it perfect. And God's number one priority is to restore this world and you and I back to its original condition. So I want you to turn to Genesis chapter one and let's just briefly look at that original condition, what things were like in the very beginning. Genesis chapter number one. Down along the lines of verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, over all the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image, in the image of who? In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens, over every living thing that moves on the earth. God said, behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit, you shall have them for food to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food and it was so and God saw everything that he had made and behold, it was very good. God made everything very good. God made humans very good. How, in whose image did God make mankind? In the image and in the likeness of God, not necessarily in looks, but in character and in nature, with moral perfection. God made us morally perfect. When mankind was invented, we were, not, we were incapable of sin. We always did that was right because we had the character and the nature of God. We were made in his likeness. Everything was perfect and everything worked Later on in the scripture, we find where, forgive me, I don't remember where this is at, one of the psalmists maybe, but it says basically, uh, there, there is none that is good. Who can you find? What human being can you find that is good? I mean, we call ourselves good, but we still have sin. So the Bible ultimately says there is no one that's good. No, not one, right? So we're not good now because of our sin, but we were good in the beginning. That's the way God created us. I saw everything that he made and it was good. Let's go on through this. Chapter two, verse uh, five, when no bush was in the field, or excuse me, was yet in the land, no small plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land. There was no man to work the ground, and, to, and, the, and a mist was going up from the land, was watering the whole face of the ground. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground, breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. Look down at verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. Uh, work was not something that came along after sin, I might add. Mankind was invented to work. Hard work came along after sin, amen? But the responsibility and, and, and uh, the responsibility to do something existed even before mankind came. 
And then we go on down to verse number 18. Uh, the Lord said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Here's your Mother's Day message. God, I don't know how long uh, Adam was in the garden by himself. We don't know. We're not given a timeline. Uh, but for a period of time, Adam was in the garden by himself. And God gave him responsibilities, things to do. He was naming the animals and so on and so forth. So however long, we don't know how long it took. But there came a point where God says, he looks at Adam and he watches him and he says, yeah, it's really not good that I should leave him alone, <laughs> right? He got to have somebody to watch out for him. And so God invented women. And for that, we all say, happy Mother's Day. Amen. Um, then we go on down here in chapter number three. This is the part I really want to hone in on here. Chapter number three, verse eight. Look at this. And they, Adam and Eve, heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees. So we know, I mean, we know this, that ultimately the reason they're hiding from God, God said to them, don't eat from this tree. And they did. They, they disobeyed God. They sinned. And, but here's the part I want to focus on is that the Bible says God come walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and Eve heard his voice. They hid themselves from the presence of the Lord. You know what that means? That before that moment, they lived in the presence of God. Adam and Eve had a face-to-face -face relationship with God because they were perfect. They were created in God's image. They had a holy nature, and they visited with God. They were there in his presence, and he came by probably every evening to speak with them in the cool of the day. But in this moment, they could no longer behold God. Why? Because of their sin. And we, we go on down through there, verse number 16, this was the consequence for them sinning against God. We know, and I'm not going to read all of this, but we know that surely I will multiply pain in childbearing. The curse for the woman was that she would have... Now, women were designed to reproduce to begin with, okay? So having... You, you may not believe this right now, especially when your kids are being uh, unruly. Having children was not the curse uh, of your sin, Right? I say, you, you sinned against me, so I'm going to curse you with children. I know it feels like that some days, but that wasn't the case. The, the children are the blessing. It was the pain, the pain that comes along with the childbirth. Lady said, amen, amen. That was, that, was, that was the curse. It wasn't intended to be that way, but that's what happened because of woman's sin. Mankind, God said to Adam, you will till the ground. He was already going to have to work, but he said, now you'll do it by the sweat of your brow. Now it's going to be more difficult. He goes on to say this in verse uh, 17, cursed is the ground because of you. In, the pain you shall, in pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Cursed is the ground. Everything became cursed because of the sin of mankind, okay? Now, the ground up until that point couldn't grow any thorns, couldn't grow any thistles. There was plenty of water. The ground, the earth itself operated in perfection because that's the way God created it, good. But when sin came and the curse of sin came, now creation and the earth itself is cursed. And I love what, what Paul says in Romans chapter number 8. You don't have to turn there, but I'm gonna, I shall have it on the screen. Romans chapter 8, verse 18. Paul says, uh, no, verse 19. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subject to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from the bondage, from its bondage, to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Now look at this. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. 
And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly. So basically, here's the, here's the thing. Before sin, Adam could wrestle with a lion. Adam could pick up a, a, a rattlesnake, play with it like he would a, a nightcrawler. Right? There was never a fear of that animal biting him or turning on him. There was perfect peace in the Garden of Eden. Plant something, it would grow. No, no weeding. He didn't have to weed his garden, right? But after sin, nature changed. The world, creation changed. Now you can't wrestle with a lion without getting your head ripped off. Now you can't pick up a, a, a viper or it'll bite you and you'll die. It's because of sin. But Paul says creation itself is groaning to be restored. I'm not going to get real deep into this because, I, number one, I don't know. Nobody knows exactly how it's all going to go down. But there's a lot of places in Scripture that indicate what things will be like when Jesus returns. Specifically, and again, I won't, I won't get real deep in this, but because I don't understand it all, but one thing we gather from Scripture is this, that the Bible says that when Jesus returns, there will be a thousand-year reign. They call it the millennial reign, that Jesus will reign on this earth. Satan will be bound hand and foot and cast in the bottomless pit for a thousand years. For a thousand years, there will be nothing but total peace on this world. Again, I don't understand. I don't know exactly know what that's going to look like. But the scripture gives the indication that your children will play with a snake's nest and you won't be the slightest bit concerned. What's, what's ultimately the scripture telling us is that one day God is going to restore us, the world, the animal kingdom. Everything will be restored back to its original condition the moment Jesus Christ returns. Amen? So are you discouraged with the way your life's going? Are you discouraged with the sickness that you have? Are you discouraged with your children? Are you discouraged with anything? Just know that one day God is going to set all things right. I hope that concept doesn't bore you this morning. I hope that that concept this morning does something in you to realize that I could stand up here from Genesis to Revelation and I could give you an, an exhaustive sermon about the coming of Jesus Christ. The restoration that will come with it. God drove Adam and Eve out of the garden, right? You know why God drove Adam and Eve out of the garden of Eden? It's because he was ticked off Adam and he just wanted to punish them. Is that why? That's not why God drove them out of the garden of Eden. See, we know about the tree. We talk a lot about the tree of knowledge of good and evil. That's the tree that they ate from that they weren't supposed to eat from that brought sin. But there was another tree in the garden. It's called the tree of life. And God said, we have got to get them out of the Garden of Eden, away from the tree of life, because if, if they eat from the tree of life, they'll live forever in that sinful condition. This is all in Genesis, by the way. I'm not going to read it all to you, but in Genesis, the third chapter, it goes on. He said, he said, let's get them out of the garden, lest they eat from the tree of life and live forever. We think about death, folks, being a bad thing. It's a negative thing in our mind anytime we lose a loved one. And we think about death being a bad thing. But do you understand this morning, I hope, and I want you to understand this morning, that death is a gift from God. Death is a gift that shows us God's grace and shows us God's love. You say, well, how can that be? Someone dies and you're saying that's a gift from God? Yes, because if we, didn't, if we don't die, we are stuck forever in this sinful body. Think about what sin does to us. And God said, I love them way too much to let them stay in that condition for all eternity. God had in his mind a day of restoration. 
They're sinful now. They're going to die now. But one day I'm going to restore the human race. So let's hide them from the tree of life. It's an amazing thing when you go and you, if you were to hang a right, a far right, into Revelation. See, Genesis, we read about the tree of life where God has to hide it from us so that we're not trapped in this sinful body for all eternity. And then we read about the tree of life in Revelation chapter 22 when we're given access to it. After we've received that new body. Amen. After we've received that new body. After God is restored, we're given access to the tree of life in which we will live forever. Amen. In the presence of God, which is how God originally designed it. You and I can't see God face to face now. You know what would happen if God in all his glory was to appear appear right here today where we could see God? According to scripture, do you know what would happen to us? Every one of us would fall over dead. God is holy, he's pure, he's perfect, and we're sinful. We would die if we were to see God. But folks, in the end, when this life is over and God restores all things, when now we are in the image of God, Paul said it like this, it does not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. We were created in the image of God, perfect and holy. That's not us now, but when Jesus comes back, he will restore us and we once again will be perfect and holy in the image of God. Hallelujah. Therefore, we'll be able to see God face to face. Our minds can't comprehend it. I can't put enough adjectives in this sermon for you and I to get a vivid picture of what that time of restoration is going to be like. We put everything we've got, our life, into our kids and their college and our retirement, looking forward to the future, and we should. There's nothing wrong with that. But so many times in our minds, and as we get caught up in our life, we stop short in our future looking right? We only look to the end of this life many times. Retirement, we want to have a, stability, a stable retirement so we can do this and that's something. We even, we even buy burial plots because we all know that we're going to die so we, we, we prepare for that day that we're going to die and we'll, bear, we'll, we'll uh, buy a burial plot so our kids don't have to think about it. We, we take care of our death and so many times we stop there and that's, that's the worst. The best part is after that. The best part is after we die and God restores us, hallelujah, to a, to a life and to a body that you and I can't even imagine. In, in, the, first, in the 15th chapter of 1 Corinthians, Paul talks about, what the, the, talks about the resurrected body. He says, you know, we're, we're planted or we're sown, we're buried in dishonor. I don't care how good of a person you are, how good you've lived your life, when you're buried, you're buried in dishonor. Because in this life, none of us perfectly lived for God. We sinned against God. So we're buried in dishonor, but we're raised in glory, the Bible says. We're, we're buried uh, mortal, meaning if right now we're mortal, meaning we're, we're, uh, we're capable of dying. We're mortal, so we can die. We're buried mortal, but we're raised immortal. When we're raised, we can never die again. A resurrected, 
a new body. And again, we don't know what that's going to be like, and we can speculate. And it does not yet appear what we shall be, but we, all we know and all that matters is that we will be like him. Amen? A resurrected body that will be immortal, never capable of death again. Never capable of sin. How many of you just get tired of temptation? I mean, you just get tired of having to make the right decision. to be the, Your body, your flesh wanting to do one thing and the spirit wanting to do another, and it's exhausting. And you never, we never face that ever again after Christ returns. Sin, temptation, the devil, failure, pain, sickness, death, all of it. Everything that's negative about this world and this life is all eliminated. Can you fathom in your mind what kind of life that would be, what kind of world that would be? And it's coming. Restoration. Peter said, just repent. Realize you're not going to live forever. Realize that you're not right in the eyes of God. Repent. He'll refresh you. You remember what it was like the moment you got saved? That was the first deep breath I had taken in 20 years. Amen? First good night's rest I had taken in a long time because I knew in that moment, now I'm ready for the coming of Jesus Christ. I had a dream, I know I've probably said, I've probably told this before. 12 years of pastoring, I'm sure I've told some of the same stories, but uh, I had a dream one time. I, I, was, I was a young man, I wasn't saved. I, I, knew what, I, I knew I needed to be saved, but I was just running from God doing all the things that young people do. And, uh, but, and I was always worried about it, obviously. We'd go to bed and I'd just be fearful. What if the Lord was to come tonight? What if I was to die in my sleep? Blah, blah, blah. What if, what if, what if? Always constantly worried because I knew I wasn't right with God. And if I was to die, I would stand before God not right with God. That ought to make us shiver a little bit. Amen? Anyway, in this dream, I remember I was out in this field in the middle of the night. It was dark. And all of a sudden, this bright light filled the sky. I mean, brighter than the sun. It was like from midnight to midday, all in a moment's time. And, and I remember looking and turning to look and see where the light came from. And there was Christ in the sky. Sky filled with the glory of God and the angels of God. And I realized in that moment, Jesus is coming. And in my dream, I'll never forget it. Guys, you got you to realize I was probably 18, 19 years old. I'm 40, almost 43 now. You do the math. It's been a long time ago. But I can remember this dream like I had it last night. And I'm, I'll never forget the first thing in my mind when I realized Jesus is coming. Boom, I hit my knees and I begin to pray and I begin to call out to God and begin to ask God to for, ask Jesus to forgive me. And in my dream, I realized it's too late. See, when Jesus comes, that's too late for repentance. How many of you ever heard the phrase, uh, time to go is not time to get ready? How many of you are frustrated when you say to your family, we're leaving at 8.45, and at 8.44, they start getting ready. Drives me nuts, right? Time to go is not time to get ready. We get ready and we prepare so that time to go, you're actually ready to go. So time to go isn't time to get ready. When Jesus comes, that's not the time to repent and get all things right with our, with our life. That's got to come right now. Amen. And I'll never forget, when I got saved, I was so refreshed. I was so relieved because I knew now in this moment when Jesus comes, he can come anytime. I don't have to fear. I don't have to worry. Should he come today, I'm ready to go. Is it because I'm a preacher? 
that I'm ready to go? Is it because I'm a Christian? Because I, I try not to sin? I try to stay away from what I know? Is it because I'm really doing a great job at this and I know that the Lord will be proud of me? No. No, in fact, if, if, my, if me being able to go to heaven was all based on my everyday performance, I would still be scared. But I realize, folks, I'm not going to go to heaven. If Jesus was to come today, I'm not going to go because of my performance as a Christian. I'm going to go because Jesus died on that cross for me to pay for my sins. So I'm going to be confident in him, not in myself. Oh, and the rest restoration that will come. Goodness. What the restoration will be like. So here's the thing. Here's, I, I got, this, that's all good news. I would hope you would veer that to be good news. Unless you're, well, here's the thing. If you're not saved this morning, all that that I just said probably freaked you out. If you don't have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, that breeded fear in your life. And I hope it did. It should. However, you need to note this morning that you don't have to leave. You don't have to live and continue in that fear. Jesus will save you today just the same as he saved me back then. Amen? He can restore you. What I'm saying is this. You don't have to wait till Jesus comes for your soul to be restored. We have to, we have to wait for Jesus to come for our body to be restored. Okay? No two ways about it. This body, we're just going to trap in this body, and it's going to hurt, and it's going to, you know, the rice crispy. We're like a rice crispy. We snap, crackle, and pop the older we get, right? So we're going to have to put up with the body. Our body will not be restored until the time that Jesus comes. But fortunately, we don't have to wait for the second coming of Jesus for our soul to be restored. David said it, David said it like this in Psalm 23. He said, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. What is your soul? That's who you really are. That's your inner man. The soul is the part that will live eternally. Your body's temporary. Our body's temporary. It's going to just go for so long. But our soul continues on. Do you realize that we technically don't ever die? You're, you're never going to die, ever. Your body will. But the second your body dies, your spirit is alive in eternity, either in heaven or in hell, according to Scripture. We're never going to die. So David says, God restores my soul. He puts my soul back where it needs to be with God, and we get that now through the cross of Jesus Christ. You can have your soul restored this morning and know that should the Lord come, you'll be ready for his coming and his return. David later in, in Psalm 51, he, he compels God as he's repenting. God created me a clean heart, uh, renew right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. And he goes on to say this, restore to me the joy of your salvation. David, David had lost his joy. What do you reckon? Four. Because of his sin, because of his rebellion, we know that he, he just lost sight of God for a while. David was a man that knew God well and had spent a lot of time in the presence of God and God had used him mightily, David and Goliath, the whole bit. He knew the presence of God, but then he fell into sin. He just lost sight of God for a little bit. And, and sometimes that happens. I've had periods in my life where I've lost sight of God. It's not that God wasn't there. I just lost sight of him. Satan's good at hiding God from us if we're not careful. And so maybe somebody, you may be here today and you say, and you just, you've just lost sight of God, and that joy seemingly has just kind of dribbled out of your life. And David said, God, I, 
not only do I want to be made right with you again, but God, I ask you to restore. Give that joy back. Oh, I, I would to God. Folks, I see, I see the pain and I see the, the confusion and I see the sorrow in, in, God, in the, the eyes and in the faces of Christian people. Every day I can look out across this congregation and I can just see the agony and the pain in and, and many of your faces and in your lives and, and, and life is so rough, it's so hard on us. Sin that takes its toll and temptation is so hard. But I, I would to God, I pray that he would just restore the joy. He's not going to restore every circumstance in your life. Sin robs us of many things and many things that sin robs us from, God will restore to us. Did you know that today? Let me read a scripture for you. I'm not going to have you turn there. But in, um, in Joel chapter 1 and verse 4, God is, Joel is a prophet and he's speaking to the, the nation of Israel who is back so they've turned their hearts against God. And this is, what, this is what God says to them through the prophet Joel. That which the palmer worm has left has the locust eaten. That which the locust has left has the canker worm eaten. That which the canker worm has, eat, has left, that the caterpillar has eaten. You say, what, what in the world does that mean and what does that have to do with anything at all? God had been compelling. The, the, the Israelites uh, had turned their back on God. But God didn't want to turn his back on them. So he continues to compel them to do what? Repent. He's continually prophet after prophet after prophet. God is saying to the Israelites, come back to me. Repent of your sin and start obeying me. And they continue to ignore God. Okay, look, God is not looking for a reason to make life miserable on you, but you need to understand this morning that when you ignore God, God loves you too much to just let you go. So sometimes God loves you so much that he makes your life miserable. Did everybody get that? Sometimes God loves you so much that he makes your life miserable. That's what he did with the Israelites. He sent a worm in to eat their crops. See, Israel was prospering. They had plenty of money, so they thought, hey, we, we, we got our money, so who needs God? Life is good, and so they did what so many people do when life is good. They forgot God. So God sends a little worm in to destroy some of their crops. They still didn't repent. So what the palmer worm had left, all the crops, he sends another insect that eats a little bit more of it. They still didn't repent. He sends another insect in to eat some more of it. So you see that literally, literally day by day, sin is costing them. And sin still costs us today, folks. Sin will cost us our, our integrity. It will cost us our testimony. It will cost us our joy. It will cost us our peace. Sin always costs us something. And as, it, as sin ravages our life and rips things apart and takes things from us, but look at the promise that God gave those same people just the very next chapter over, chapter 2, verse 25. God says, but if you'll repent, I will restore. Say that with me. I will restore to you the years that the locust has eaten the cankerworm and the caterpillar and the palmerworm, my great army which I sent among you. God said, everything that sin cost you, I can give it back. I'll restore it to you. You don't have to wait till Jesus comes to get your joy back. You don't have to wait till Jesus comes to get a peace of heart and a peace of mind back. I have watched sin, I've seen sin in my own life destroy and rob me of things. 
only to have the grace of God come along and give it back to me. Things that I, I should not be up here preaching to you people today. I shouldn't. I shouldn't. And in the ways that I've sinned against God and failed God, I shouldn't be alive, let alone be preaching to you all. God restores because that's the kind of God that he is. He loves us too much to let us go our direction, but he loves us too much to leave us that way when we go there. Amen? We need a revival. We need revival. Everybody say, I need revival. Look at your neighbor and say, don't fool yourself. You need it too. We need a revival, a restoration. When, we, when you read um, in, in Acts around the second chapter when the Holy Spirit was poured out on the church, the church in the upper room, the Holy Spirit came and filled them and they were able to speak the word of God with power. And they were able to endure persecution. I mean, we're kind of we're kind of wimpy Christians nowadays. I mean, can we, is that fair to say? Com- compared to, I mean, we may be, we're strong in a lot of ways, don't get me wrong, we're still fighting the enemy. Uh, but, but compared to the first church, we can kind of appear a little wimpy. Because they really went through great persecutions. Amen? But oh, did they ever know what the presence of God was about. And in their persecution, they rejoiced. When we have a tendency to whine just a little bit. Don't, make, don't, don't get me wrong, the church is still the best thing the world's got going, right? You think about it, in the past 2,000 years since the church was born, after Jesus' resurrection and after he ascended, the church as a whole has, has risen and it's fallen. It has triumphed and it's won and it's failed, it's lost. The church at, at different points throughout history has been hot, cold, and lukewarm, amen? We've been it all, we've risen, we've fallen, we've been effective, we've been ineffective, We've, we've represented Christ well, and at times we've not represented Christ very well. So we're still not there yet, but God is still working on us, and we're still going. See, because Jesus said that the gates of hell will not prevail against my church. God's got good plans for his church. God is restoring his church to get us back to that church that craves the presence of God. You couldn't, wild horses could not have drugged those Christians out of that upper room. They hungered and they thirsted. They longed for the next thing that God would do in their life. They were revived. And then we just sometimes, over time, have just gotten a little bored with all of that. We've kind of come up with our own methods and stuff. And I just believe that God wants to revive his church. I believe he wants to revive his people to back to its original condition. That we might be effective always in, in our communities. That we might be the light. That we might be salt. That's what Jesus said. You're the salt of the earth. And what good is salt if it doesn't have any flavor? What good is the church if we're not properly reflecting Jesus to the world around us? God says, I want, I'm going to restore everything one day. And we as Christians can sit back in our pews and we can sing our songs and long for heaven and say, even so, Lord Jesus, come quickly. And we should. We should rejoice and thank God for the restoration that is coming. Or we can just begin to say, Lord, I believe that you want to restore us now in the soul, in the spirit. You want to revive your church 
to be the army of God that you created it and designed it originally to be. Amen? God's church is a force. I believe that if there's anything the word of God teaches us, it's this, that that which is dead or dying will live again. It's what Jesus specializes in, taking something that's dead and making it live. That's restoration. Church, I don't want to be part of a dead church. Do you? I mean, I really don't. I'm not into religion. If you're here this morning, you're visiting, you're trying to figure all this out, and you're thinking, just, just know I'm, just, I'm not a religious person. I'm just not into it. Religion does, it does so many things. It just tells us so many things that, that God's not even telling us. I'm not into religion. I'm, I'm just into Jesus. Amen? I want a passion for him to be restored in me. Not just churchiness, but a passion for Jesus. That he might make his image to be seen in my life everywhere, every day. I was created in the image of God. I was supposed to have the nature and the character of God. I lost that in sin, but I pray that every day God restore that in me. See, I think it was Peter that said that we can be a partaker of the divine nature. You know what that means? It literally means that we can act, talk, and be like Jesus. Not perfect, but that he can be seen through our life. His image, his likeness, seen to the, the dark world around us. Man, we're, not, we're nothing but just clay. We, we read that earlier about what, how God created us. Amen? Created us out of the clay. And God is the potter, right? He takes the clay, and our prayer should just be, God, mold me, shape me. Make me what you want me to be. Restore unto us, Lord. Bring us back to that first love. Uh, the passion we had for you when we first got saved. Hallelujah. Nobody can thrust that on you. I can't. The fanciest sermon in the world can't spark that in you. There's got to be a hunger for it. There's got to be a thirst for it. I just pray this morning that God would spark something in you and me that the world will never be able to take out. A fire that temptation could never quench. A fire that the world and persecution will never quench. The, the church has been, we've, we've been persecuted, we've been made fun of, we've been ignored, and that's all okay. You know why? Because in the end, God's going to make us what he wants us to be. Amen? All depends on how willing we are. I'm going to ask everybody to stand this morning. I'm going to direct my, I'm going to direct my invitation like this. I'm inviting everybody. I'm inviting everybody, not necessarily to the altar per se, but although these altars are open, if God moving upon your heart and you just want to find a place this morning to kneel down and pray, then you are more than welcome to do that. But if everybody would just bow with me this morning, every head bowed, every eye closed, please.